from heartbreak to healing. That is the title of this week's episode. And uh, the question that that begs, that title begs, is can the same poem deal with, work with, um, both heartbreak and healing? In other words, can it trade in both heartbreak and healing? Can the story embedded in the poem help us witness a difficult, very difficult, and sometimes even terrifying reality, while also laying down footsteps, even faint ones, that uh, we can follow, that can help us on our path toward healing? Well, those kinds of questions, of course, mean you are listening to Poetry, Passion, and Pleasure podcast with your host, Dale Byron. That's me. This is the home of practical, everyday, helpful poetry for all of us, for people just like you and me. So a further note that I made for myself is that can a poem leave a trail of helpful breadcrumbs so that we can find our way or help find our way, help us find our way? And finding our way may not involve the ability to change the reality that we're faced with, or certainly maybe not to change it um, in any short-term way, or maybe not even in our lifetime. However, it does allow us uh, to address this reality, whatever it happens to be, with greater strength, courage, and equanimity, and hopefully, eventually, wisdom wisdom so let's uh let's get we're going to feature a, a one particular poem this episode and it's by the great um poet pablo neruda this poem originally written in spanish and it was translated by the amazing poet and translator robert bligh this poem is one that I've loved for a long, long time. And again, I think it really gets to this question. Can a poem both help us witness a difficult, difficult situation and also provide footsteps, provide breadcrumbs, as we're saying, to help us uh, find our way to shine a light on a path that, uh, that we may begin to take? um on our path home and uh, the poem again is called keeping quiet by pablo neruda now we will count to 12 now we will count to 12 and we will all keep still now now we will count to 12 and we will all keep still for once on the face of the earth Let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for one second and not move our arms so much. It would be, it would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness, in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales, 
and the man gathering salt would look at his hurt hands, those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it is about. Life is what it is about. I want no truck with death. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us as when everything seems dead and later and later proves to be alive. Now, I'll count up to 12, and you keep quiet, and I will go, and I will go. As you listen to this poem, as you hear this poem, and perhaps it's for the first time, maybe not, but as you hear it, can you feel the number of layers in that poem? All the different layers of meaning, both, as we were saying, in witnessing this most difficult um, reality that we face uh, in war and with war and with all the wars that uh, we have faced uh, as human beings and continue to face, of course. Um, and yet, and can you notice that this is a very down-to-earth story that is not obscure, that is easily understood? For me, the poem uh, and its story take an unflinching look at war and its consequences, and yet it makes delicious and bodacious statements beyond war and hence at what we might do way upriver. You know, that's the metaphor I like. You know, we, people talk about first causes, first principles. You know, a first principle is the kind of a thing where you're not just chopping at the leaves of a problem, where you're moving way back upstream, to use that metaphor, way back upriver to where first principles and first causes are occurring. And um, uh, we might think of a, uh, speaking of Robert Bly, who was the translator on this wonderful poem, we might think of a line from a Robert Bly poem, a poem that he wrote. He starts it, he says, a friend of mine says that every war, a friend of mine says that every war is some violence in childhood, coming closer. 
A friend of mine says that every war is some violence in childhood coming closer. Now, we begin to imagine, in this case, we're talking about war. We're talking about the violence and the horror of war, the terror of war. And yet, what we are saying is something quite universal. It is saying that, what are the first principles? And in this case, Robert Bly is saying, it goes all the way back to trauma suffered in childhood. A friend of mine says that every war is some violence in childhood coming closer. So this begins these hints that we have, these um, little um, breadcrumbs on the path so that we begin to imagine a world that may not be filled with uh, one war after another, one excuse for one war after another, one nation being lied into a war after another, which our history is filled with cases for that. And if you think of the uh, pretense um, for the Vietnam War, the pretense for the Iraq War, um, the pretense for the Spanish-American War, you know, all of these wars that we were pulled into on pretense that turned out not to be true. So, um, Pablo Neruda, witnessing this war, now we will count to 12 and we will all keep still for once on the face of the earth. Let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for one second, one second, and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales, would not harm whales. And the man gathering salt would look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade doing nothing. That one stanza is so delicious, so um, incisive. Um, you know, the poet that said, I gave up science for poetry because poetry was so much more precise. Um, because this is a witnessing of a difficulty. I mean, what is more difficult than a war that is um, devastating uh, human beings, devastating the natural world, devastating animals, devastating animals? Uh, everything that gets in its path, those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fires, victories with no survivors. Remember, William Stafford said, a war um, has two losers. Every war has two losers of victories with no survivors. And would that, in place of that, 
So we witness that. We don't, we don't look away from it. We witness that. We witness and we experience the, the utter tragedy, the utter, the utter terror of that. And yet it's within the same stanza, within the story the poem is telling, in a very straightforward way, as we've talked about, we're saying that the, the corollary, the other side of that could be people putting on clean clothes and walking about with their brothers in the shade, with their sisters in the shade, doing nothing. And then he ends it with these last two stanzas again. What I want should not be confused, says Pablo, Pablo Neruda. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it is about. I want no truck with death. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness, this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us as when everything seems dead and later proves to be alive. Now, I'll count up to 12, and you keep quiet, and I will go. And I will go. In this case, silence is being offered up as a healing um, again, we were saying, can a, can a single poem be masterful enough, have a story that is uh, wise enough, that can both witness um, the most terrifying thing, in this case, war, and at the same time, give us a uh, window into some alternative, give us a path, give us breadcrumbs to be able to follow out of the terror. I said um, in thinking about this episode and thinking about the value of silence and what Neruda, how he's prescribing this kind of silence, this way of thinking, I said, maybe silence is not the only thing we need. Maybe silence is not the only thing we need, but it is one of the first and maybe most important things we need. This is a thought that came to me in thinking about this episode. I said, maybe silence is not the only thing we need, but it is one of the first and maybe most important things we need need. In silence, in silence, we may discover what it feels like to feel truly grateful and to actually have enough. I'm going to talk more about this in later episodes, but the idea now that we are in trouble, not just with war, but 
the war uh, on the natural world that is resulting in all of these different um, um, symptoms, which of which uh, global warming is only one of them, but these symptoms of overshoot, and um, that if we could, um, um, if we could truly um, have a feeling of enough. Um, if we could truly have a feeling of peacefulness inside each of us, peacefulness with each other, and then ultimately peacefulness um, with the biosphere, with the natural world. So again, what I said, maybe silence is not the only thing we need, but it is one of the first and most important things we need. In silence, we may discover what it feels like to feel truly grateful and to actually have enough, actually have enough to feel as if we do. In silence, we may begin to understand that there is no future, as we were saying, for any of us, so long as we are not at peace within our own human hearts, with the hearts of others, and with all other earthling, as I call them, beings, earth-based beings, the entire natural world, and the biosphere itself, of which we are one. You know, in a way, it's not even correct to say that we're part of it, because that assumes multiple parts. And I know that that's our language sort of forces us into thinking that way. But if if we are to, to really imagine a kind of deep wholeness, there are no parts. There are no parts. It's all one continuous uh, happening of which we are embedded. I guess that would be the closest word I could come to. In silence, we may begin to understand that there is no future for any of us, no future for any of us, so long as we are not at peace within our own human hearts and the hearts of others and with all other earthling beings, the entire natural world and the biosphere itself of which we are one, of which we are one. Now, on this subject of silence, I wanted to, uh, I found a, um, a wonderful, uh, I hope you'll think it's wonderful, <laughs> quote from a um, philosopher uh, named Paul Goodman, and a writer, philosopher, and may, may have, you know, had other labels, I'm not sure, but a uh, wise person would be one I would give him. And this is a quote on silence. And let's, uh, uh, this and one other Wendell Berry thought, and uh, that's how we'll end today. Uh, Paul Goodman said this on silence. Not speaking, not speaking and speaking are both human ways of being in the world. And there are kinds and grades of each. There is the dumb silence of slumber or apathy, the sober silence that goes with a solemn animal face, the fertile silence of awareness, pasturing the soul, whence emerge new thoughts, the alive silence of alert 
perception, ready to say this, this. I like that. The alive silence of alert perception, ready to say this, this. The musical silence that accompanies absorbed activities. The silence of listening to another speak, catching the drift and helping him be clear. The noisy silence of resentment and self-recrimination. Loud and subvocal speech, but sullen to say it. Baffled silence, the silence of peaceful accord with other persons or communion with the cosmos. Ah, I love that quote by Paul Goodman. And uh, let's end with this one again. One last uh, thought by Wendell Berry. Accept what comes from silence. Make the best you can of it, of the little words that come out of the silence, like prayers prayed back to the one who prays. Make a poem that does not disturb the silence from which it came. Make a poem that does not disturb the silence from which it came. Oh, now there's a maker's mark. Okay, well, that is a wrap. That's the end of this um, particular edition. So, uh, as I always say, if you are so inclined, you can put a like there, make a comment, a like. Those all help with the algorithm so other people uh, will be uh, perhaps introduced to this podcast. So, please do that, and uh, you know if you're so inclined. And also, as I like to always say, thank you so much for your listening here. Thank you. Many, many times. And until next poems and next podcast, please, please take good care of yourself.